Welcome to 1001 Radio Crime Solvers Podcast. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we want 1001 Radio Crime Solvers to be your favorite place to go to enjoy a great mix of vintage detective shows from the golden age of radio. The scripts were great, the action was hot, and even the old commercials are enjoyable. And now, another episode of 1001 Radio Crime Solvers is ready to go. Enjoy! I was up the coast with two murders behind me. Telling all to a nice white-haired old lady when the clock struck 12. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The House That Jacqueline Built. They say the end of an old year and the start of a new is a good time to take stock. Stand back and give yourself the once-over. Do a reissue on that tired list of resolutions. But for a private detective, that routine only means tallying up the times you've dirtied your hands on someone else's murder or dirtied your brain with their schemes. So you let the hide on your heart grow a little thicker, pull the part of your mind that feels things a little farther back into a shell, and maybe plan on later hunting up a cup of kindness or two someplace. But even that has a price tag on it these days. So there was work to do and a fee to collect before I could pick up the tab on an evening's fun. Is you're a detective? That's not a fair question. Won't you sit down? Oh, it's I... fantastic. I tell you, I'm going crazy with this, with this horrible trick of fate. What's the matter? What's going the on? The house, it's gone. It's vanished. What and house? All the papers with it. Years of research, months of grueling work in the jungles, volumes of preciousness, all gone. Whisk away from the very heart of a teeming city, an entire house. Now, look, if you just sit down and tell me who you I are, I... no object. I must have action. I must locate. Who are you? The... Professor Felix Piper. What's all this talk about jungles and research? Yeah, botanical research. Tropical herbs in South America. Years of it all for nothing now because the house has disappeared. Look, you said that several times. Now, look... You professor, investigate I'm... things. You've had experience. I want to hire you now. I go to where a house should be, a house in which I myself have stood. And what do I find? A vacant lot, a hole in the ground. And all I... Oh, 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 oh Professor, heart, take it easy. My heart. Here, come on over to the couch and lie down. Take it easy, will you? Yes, I will. Thank you, thank you. Oh, I'll be all right. I'll be all right. It's all been such a shock. Oh, stabbed and sudden death. A long trip to get our papers and then to find the house gone. Yeah, I know. Now, look, if you just lie there a few minutes until you feel better, we'll start over. A little closer to the beginning. That's all right. Oh, Professor, what's ah. the matter? What's happened here? Well, the date our house has disappeared and the professor's collapsed trying to tell me about it, and I, uh, you... Oh. <laughs> Who are you? I'm Professor Piper's assistant. What are you assisting with? Uh, Stephanie, oh, I'm glad you got here. Yes, don't worry, don't worry. It's nothing. I'll be all right. I'll be all right. But let's not waste any more time. You've got to find out what happened to that house. We've Please, got to find Professor out. Piper, don't excite yourself. Oh. Let me explain to the detective. Marlowe, Philip Marlowe. I'm Stephanie Fraser. Hello. Hello. Please, the house. Dive into the paper. All right, paper. Professor, all right. Yes, Mr. Marlowe, I presume he got as far as telling you that for over a year we've been in South America in the interior of Brazil studying tropical herbs. Yeah, part of that got in there somewhere, I think. Yeah, but of course it did. Uh, tell him about the house, uh, Stephanie. One step at a time, Felix. Now, look, Professor, I've got something here that'll do you the world of good. Ah. Me too, I think. <laughs> now, try this. Take your time about yes, it. Yes, I will. Mr. Marlowe, could I speak to you in the other room for a moment? Of course. I'll be right back, Mr. Piper. Yes, yes, Mr. But hurry, hurry. Volatile, isn't it? Yes, but a brilliant partner. As I was saying, Mr. Marlowe, we've been almost completely out of touch with civilization for over a year. Really? You'd never know it. Beauty parlors before miracles. Mm. Please, Mr. Marlowe, let me tell you what happened. Okay. Professor Piper's collaborator and partner, Maxwell Stuyvesant, caught fever and died three weeks ago. Where was this? Brazil. Where the nuts come from? Nothing, huh? Look, Mr. Marlowe, they had worked together for years, and all their notes and papers were kept stored at Stuyvesant's place here in Los Angeles. We came here to get that material. And the house was gone. Fantastic, isn't it? Certainly is. We all thought Maxwell Stuyvesant's wife, Catherine, was living in it. She owned it. In her name? Yes. Oh. Maxwell actually owned nothing. He didn't want to. He was gone all the time. That didn't sit too well with Catherine, huh? Right. She wanted Stuyvesant to stay home, and he always promised her that someday he would, and they'd live a happy life together. But, well, she was a young woman, impatient, I guess. Yeah. Where is she now? Well, one of the neighbors, an old woman, said she thought she remembered hearing that Catherine went to Nebraska. Nebraska? 
And, and that's all we know. Professor Piper and I are stumped. We came to you because we want action and want it fast. Will you help us? Well, the whole year's been screwy. There's no reason why this should bother me. Tracking a runaway residence through the metropolitan wilds of Los Angeles didn't sound so tough. So after Stephanie gave me the address, 8840 on Orange Drive, and told me that she and the professor could be reached at Villa 3 in the Wilshire Gardens, I got in my car and drove out Orange Drive to where a house number 8840 should have been. I found that said house had been moved out six months ago, and in the middle of the night, too. But where, why, or who had done the job, nobody knew. Until I got around to a Mrs. Elma Lathrop, whose house backed the Stuyvesant place from across the alley. She blocked her front door with a waistline that said she'd never heard of Rye Crisp. Gave me an eye as warm and as sympathetic as an ice cube. Remember that? Huh. I should have to tell you I remember. Craziest thing I ever saw. Them men working all day and all night, getting that little house up on rollers and out of there. I'd like to know what all the rush was about. So would I. You wouldn't happen to know where they took it, huh? No, I wouldn't. That Catherine Stuyvesant wasn't a very sociable type person. But if that's the way she wants to be, it's all right with me. That's good. Now, look, I don't suppose you'd know who she sold it to. Nope. What company did the moving? Oh, wouldn't I, though? It's the Gilligan Reckon and Moving Company, and believe you me, the name fits. Mm. Them clumsy oxes. In such a rush, they backed a big truck over my pomegranate tree. A beautiful, full-grown tree in the pink of health. Did I make them pay? I'll bet. Now, uh, you listen. Have I a choice? I tracked that outfit down and made them shell up through the nose for that. Was I burned? Well, bully for you. Now, look, where is the Gilligan Outfit's office, Mrs. Lathrop? At Adams and Rampart Street. 410 Rampart. 410, huh? But say, what's going on anyway? Why are you asking me all these questions? Well, frankly, I'm a pomegranate fancier myself, Mrs. Lathrop. Happy New Year. Yeah, this is 410 Rampart, isn't it? That's correct. Well, your sign outside says Bloopman's Novelties. Are you one of them? Ashtrays, paperweights, okay. bonds, silver baby Okay, okay, honey, okay. Now, look, I'm looking for the Gilligan Wrecking and Moving Company. I was told they had this place six months ago. That's right. But they're out of business now. They went broke last September. Oh. Boss left town in a hurry. How do you like that? Not much. Mr. Gilligan, Gil Gilligan owed everybody wages, including my boyfriend. He used to work for Mr. Gilligan. That's, that's how we met Bat. Bat? <laughs> they were moving out as we moved in. Small world, huh? Getting smaller all the time. Now, look, I'd like to talk to your boyfriend, Miss, uh... Bessie. Bessie. Well, um, Bat lives real close to here. The Beekman Room. Oh, thanks, Bessie. What's Bat's last name? Battenschlag. Who? Battenschlag. Yeah, anybody know that. Well, you better just call him Bat. All right. And, um, uh, tell him to job around, will you? <laughs> Who wrote those lyrics? I wish it was Who is it? Name's Marlowe. I want some dope on a job the Gilligan Company did, Bat. All right, just a minute. Well, uh, how did you get to me? Bessie. Oh. By the way, she said to you to drop around. Oh, yeah? Dumb dame. Don't I every night? Uh, come on in, buddy. Excuse the robe. I, I was in the shower. Sure, sure. Now, look, Bat, were you working for Gilligan six months ago? Uh, yeah, yeah, why? You remember moving a house from 8840 Orange Drive? 8840 Orange Drive. Yeah. I see now. Oh, yeah, that one, too. That was the screwiest deal I ever saw. Where'd you move it to, do you remember? All the way to San Pedro. Big hurry-up job. The boss kept saying we were racing the weather and nobody could figure it. Racing the weather? Why? Now, it beats me. We set the house off down at the end of Front Street in the Harbor Salvage Company yard. Harbor Salvage in San Pedro, yeah. huh? Tell me, Bat, was the house empty? Well, certainly. You don't think... No, that no, no, he... Bat. I mean the furniture. Oh, oh. Well, why? What's all the fuss? Well, some people are interested in locating that house. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's too bad. How come? Oh, I got a big hunch it didn't sit very long where we left it, buddy. The Pacific Ocean was only six inches from the back door. I'm Pete Nyes, mate. What's on your mind? Well, if you're the head man of Harbor Salvage Company, a house is on my mind. That's me. 
But I don't want any more house jobs. I did one this year, and that's plenty. Six months ago, house delivered by Gilligan? That's it, mate. And I did a masterpiece, if I do say so myself. Sure wouldn't chance it again, though. Too shifty. Never mind your career. What happened to that house? What happened? Why, I loaded it on that old woman's barge. What old woman? As I was saying, I loaded it on that old woman's barge, battened it down, shipped cape in the last two days of good sailing weather, and sent her out to sea. You mean that house left here on a barge? Ah, that it did, mate. Bound for the Golden Gate in the upper arm of San Francisco Bay. Oh, fine. Little shrimp fishing town in the backwater there called Wilson. If I remember right, it's on San Pablo Bay, about 15 miles north of Berkeley. Oh, now do you mind telling me who the old woman was who owned that barge, Nias? Not a bit. Kindly old soul, she wasn't named Jacqueline Beatty. Went aboard with the house and waved goodbye from the front door. She pulled out. All smiles, too. What's the matter, son? You look like a deckhand who's lost his sea legs. What it started three short hours ago was a checkup on an L.A. residence that evolved itself into a chase up the coast after a houseboat, which was a project I distinctly did not want to jump into without first a nod from my client. In fact, I was ready to scuttle the whole business. So I found a phone and called Villa 3 at the Wilshire Gardens. you, Matthews? Yeah. This is Marlowe. Oh, hiya, Phil. What can I do for you but make it snappy, will you? I'm up to my ears. Hey, wait a minute. Phil, look, you called up here expecting someone else to answer, didn't you? Who? A guy named Felix Piper, maybe. Nice fit. What's the connection? Client, what fit? Ex-client, Marlowe. He's it. Somebody huh? tagged him. Yeah, with a knife. A very fancy knife like some Indians in Brazil use, the boys tell me. Oh. You better drop in here. Where are you now? Uh... San Pedro. What are you doing down there? Yeah, well, you you wouldn't believe it, Matthews. Really, you wouldn't. Hey, look, Moody. Yeah, see if you can get all of that bell up now. Okay. Oh, hello, Marlo. Hiya, Matthews. Any progress? Uh, too soon. Uh, anyway, I'm counting on you for that. Come on inside, have a look. Okay. When did it happen? A couple hours ago. Mm-hmm. What was his dodge, anyway? We found a club membership card lists him as a botanist. True? Yeah, as far as I know. Spent a lot of time in research in Brazil. Where did nuts come from? Nothing. Oh. Well, there's your client, Phil. Professor Felix Pfeiffer, and somebody mailed him right between the shoulders. Hey, Matthews. Hmm? Something's awful haywire. What do you mean? That's not the man who hired me. Just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, one fellow who made a New Year's resolution years ago not to get married certainly saw it blow up with a bang a couple of weeks ago. A fellow by the name of Andy of Amos and Andy opened his mouth at the wrong moment, and there he was, married to the wrong woman. Listen for Amos and Andy and Andy's Bride on most of these same CBS stations tomorrow night. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The House That Jacqueline Built. When I told Detective Lieutenant Matthews that the crumpled form at our feet identified as Felix Piper, and the Felix Piper who had hired me were not one and the same, he arched a single eyebrow slowly. When I told him the rest of the story, both eyebrows practically leaped from his forehead. So all in all, it was 30 minutes of steady gab, my solemn word that what I had said was nothing but the truth, and a blunt reminder that a private detective's license is revocable before I was free to go back to my apartment on Franklin, while the police went to work. That made it exactly 4 p.m., when key in hand, I reached my front door lock, just as it swung in and away from me. Come in, Mr. Marlowe. Well, the globe-trotting Stephanie... How'd my place care to get on your map, baby? Please, don't, Joe. Come in. Thank you. Lovely apartment you've got here. Mr. Marlowe, please. This is no time to be funny. Why not? Everything else plays funny. Your lost L.A. house turns up floating on the outskirts of San Francisco. What? A screwball botanist from South America who's maybe also a killer wants a bunch of hocus pocus Also a papers. killer? Well, what do you mean, Mr. Marlowe? Felix Piper didn't kill Corday. Corday? That's his name, huh? You get around, don't you, yes, kid? Yes, Martin Corday. He was on the floor of my villa when I got back. That's why I came here. The, the janitor left yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, let's I... not change the subject. 
Miss Corday, who is he? Or was he? Scheming, ruthless man when you were in South America. An importer. Wait a minute. An importer wants a botanist paper? Come on, baby. Tell me the truth. Mr. Mallory, there are no papers. Oh, that's great. You mean that all this about the house is phony, make no, believe? No, no, no. It's true. But? But no papers. Only jewels. Only jewels. Oh, no. Ruby's, Mr. Mallory. In a little pouch. $30,000 worth hidden in the house. Where in the house? The fireplace. Behind a brick somewhere on the right-hand side. You see, those rubies belong to Felix and that Maxwell Stuyvesant I mentioned. Now they belong to Felix alone. They, they were for their old age. Or, the expression's uh, nest egg. So they could carry on their work. Hmm. You don't believe me? No, not quite, no, no. And for two very valid reasons. One, why'd you lie in the first place and say it was papers? Because we didn't know if we could trust you. And now with a man dead, you have to, is that it? No, I don't have to, but I do trust you, Mr. Marlowe. It may not be mutual, Stephanie. What do you mean? Well, if I buy all this, the jewels, Piper and Stuyvesant's unique retirement plan, Corday posing as Piper to some way cut in as a new hooker. Which is what? Corday is murderer. It should now be you or Felix Piper. No. Then who? Corday's partner. A, a swarthy-looking little man. I, I don't know his name. I last saw him with Corday in South America. You, you see, the original plan was that I come up here ahead of Felix. He was too anxious. He couldn't wait. He, he followed almost at once. So? So, somehow or other, Corday and this swarthy man found out about our plans and decided that Corday should pose as Felix and as for their scheme. And, and what? Well, there must have been a double cross. Corday probably trying to do away with the swarthy man, but getting done away with himself instead. Mm. Where's Felix Piper now? In a second-rate hotel on Santa Monica. Phone Bay. number there, do you know it? Phone number. Yes, I, I have it right here in my face. All right. Crestview 8 something. Yes, here. Crestview 8 4 1 4 4. 4 1 4 4. Okay, here you talk to him, Stephanie. My nerves won't take the chatter. What, what, what should I tell him? Um, Mr. Felix Piper, please. Well, tell him for the time being we're going to skip the police. Yeah. But you and I are going up to San Francisco on the next plane and then out to a place called Wilson to look for a houseboat. No less rubies. Yeah, also tell them to meet us up there at the Crystal Auto Court. Mm -hmm. Got that? It's the mm -hmm. place I've stayed at a little beyond Berkeley. On the road to San Pablo Bay. All right. Uh, Stephanie, Felix, one moment. Yeah, yeah. Tell them to stay clear of swarthy men tonight. Especially small ones. They're dangerous. <laughs> it was two hours and 30 minutes later when Stephanie and I drove into the quiet fishing village of Wilson on San Pablo Bay that hugged the bend of the sloping shoreline like was afraid of falling in. My best bet for information would be the local gas emporium. So I drove my rented car in at a round-shouldered one-pump station. Something freckled and gangling with a shock of flame for hair, pulled himself out of a thin. Arms and legs working independently, wobbled over, braced himself against the car. Gas or just information, folks? Don't be ashamed, everybody from out of town gets lost in Wilson. <laughs> it's so big. <laughs> Made it funny. <laughs> Look, if that's the case, we'll own up right away, Red. We're looking for a houseboat. Yes. Hey, well, then you better dry the water. <laughs> this boy kills himself, doesn't he? Look, Red, we're in a hurry. This houseboat belonged to a lady named Jacqueline Beatty. No more jokes, huh? <laughs> yeah, don't worry. There's nothing funny about that. Screwy old widow. Believe me, she's sad. Sad? Why? Well, about six months ago, she took every cent she had, went down to L.A., bought a house and bought a barge and put them both together and come back here. To do what? to sit, to do nothing, all day and all night long. She never leaves. You know why? Nope. Neither does nobody else, except that her husband was an artist, painted sea pictures, so she likes it around the water. But she's nuts, I tell you. Acts like the place is, well, acts like it's made of gold. Gold? Now, look, Red, tell me, how do I get there? We're reporters from L.A. doing a story on her place. Oh, newspaper people, huh? Your reporters usually are, boy. Well, that's different. Smart, Ellie. It's one block straight ahead, then right, and down to the bay. Thanks, Red. Happy New Year. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> and we'd gone one ahead and three right, and we're down to where the town and the bay trickled up to meet one another, we saw it. A white three-room cottage of floats surrounded by fishing boats and assorted barges. The front door opened at our knock. Not tugboat any, nor the scraggly pioneer woman, rifle cradled in bony arms. Just anybody's grandmother, and under a white lace shawl at that. Yes, sir. Can I help you? Well, uh, yeah, I believe so. You're Mrs. Beatty, huh? That's right. 
Mrs. Jasmine Beatty. Oh, well, I'm Philip Marlowe, Mrs. Beatty. This is Miss Stephanie Fraser. How do you do? We're reporters from L.A. Reporters? Mm. We uh, were going through Wilson here when we heard about your houseboat mm. and how you brought it all the way up from Los Angeles. You uh, had a particular reason for wanting this house, Mrs. Beatty? Oh, my, yes. What was that? <laughs> well, that's a long, long story, my boy. I see. Well, tell me, Mrs. Beatty, the house is exactly as it was in Los Angeles, huh? Oh, to a tea, Mr. Marlowe. Would you like this to see? Oh, yes, we'd love to. Fine. Then, shall we say lunch tomorrow? Uh, well, Mrs. Beatty, we're on our way back to Los Angeles now, tonight. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. But, uh, well, you see, I simply have to tidy up some before company. Well, perhaps another time. Well, uh... I, I, I think lunch tomorrow will be splendid, Mrs. Beatty. Of course. Good, good. Then until midday tomorrow, we'll have a buffet for the three of us in front of the fireplace. Good night, Miss Fraser. Good night, Mr. Marlowe. Good night, Mrs. Beatty. Well, is it just a sweet old lady? I don't know. But when will we? Well, only about midday tomorrow. Come on, let's get back to the Crystal Auto Court and your boss. Felix Piper out and alone is a combination that worries me plenty. No, Mr. Marlowe. Mr. Piper hasn't shown yet, but he should any minute now. He called a half hour ago from someplace in Berkeley and said he was coming out here in a taxi. Well, now, let's see. A single cabin for Miss Fraser here, mm-hmm. number six... And a double, number 11, for you and Mr. Piper. Right, Mr. Marlowe? Yes, that's right, Mr. Crystal. Okay. Now, Miss Fraser, if you'll come along with me, I'll show you the way. Be back in a minute, Mr. Marlowe. I- I'll just tidy up, Phil. Then I'll come back here and wait with you for Felix. I'm so worried. Yeah, I know. Well, he'll be all right once he's with us. I hope so, Phil. Oh, uh, Mr. Crystal, can I call L.A. on this phone here? Oh, sure, Mr. Marlowe. Long distance is 110. Operator, I want to call a Los Angeles person to person. Party I want is Detective Lieutenant... What? Delay. Oh, yeah, New Year's Eve. Well, look, honey, I'd like to put the call through anyway. Never mind. Oh, no! 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 Oh
double-crossed by Piper and his deathbed. Stavis wanted the rubies to go to his wife, Catherine. Why? Hold it, Mrs. Beatty. Go on, Corday. The real Piper was a crook, huh? Decided to get the jewels himself, is that it? Yes, but he was also dumb. Oh, no, no. Stephanie, the secretary, crossed him for a pretty deal with me. He was all her idea. Uh, going to you for help with me, posing as Piper. Go on. Oh, Mr. Mondo. Go on, Corday. Yes, yes. And Stephanie decided to double-cross me. After you stabbed the real Piper because he got up to L.A. in your villa sooner than expected, yes, huh? Yes, 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 but she couldn't cross me. I was I was following her all the time. <laughs> she didn't phone you from my place? No, 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 no. I was outside your door then. And she was talking to a number she made up. You're lucky you handed her the phone when you did. If you hadn't, she would have shot you. It was all lies. It was lies. The swarthy man included. There isn't one. Oh, Mr. Marlowe, he's... He's unconscious, Mrs. Beatty. I'll get an ambulance. Yes, yes, hurry. I'll show you where the phone is. Yeah, after you tell me about the jewels, huh? The rubies, Mrs. Beatty. Your lack of surprise about them being hidden in the fireplace, I mean. How come? Well, I found those six months ago when I bought this house from Catherine Stuyvesant in Los Angeles. By the way, Mr. Marlowe, how did you know that man was Corday? Fireplace, honey. <laughs> he went to the wrong side. It was worth a shot in the dark. Well, the phone's over there. You know, I noticed the loose brick on the right-hand side of the fireplace the moment I walked in. You see, I built this house with my own hands. Really? Why'd you move it up here, honey? Because my husband and I spent our honeymoon in this house. And we found our happiness here at San Pablo. Oh. You also found the rubies and sent them back to Catherine Stuyvesant? Yes, Mr. Marlowe. Well, happy new year, Mr. Marlowe. <laughs> happy new year, Jacqueline. time I'd said goodbye to Jacqueline and walked outside. The first sun of 1950 was glinting across the waters of the bay. 1950. Another chance for Marlowe and for the world. I hope we both do better with it this year. Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Lois Corbett, Howard McNear, Georgia Ellis, John Daner, and Parley Bear. Detective Lieutenant Matthews is played by Larry Dobkin. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Oran. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time each carried a torch, and each was burned by it. The heel, the hero worshiper, and the hard-bitten blonde. And all because of a woman already two days dead. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gut of the prison of the grave. This time, each carried a torch, and each was burned by it. The heel, the hero worshiper, and the hard-bitten blonde. And all because of a woman already two days dead. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in... The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. In just a moment, tonight's story. But first, a message from the Ford dealers of America. Tonight, more than 110,000 enthusiastic motorists own new 1950 Fords. Here's what Donald L. Gibson, a pilot from Kansas City, says about his 50 Ford. As a pilot, I'm naturally interested in engines, and that's why I bought a 50 Ford. That V8 really ticks along. And ticks is just the right word, because it's as smooth and quiet as the Swiss movement and a good watch. And it's not just the Ford engine that's fine. The ride is just like flying in smooth air, and the car handles like a dream. 
Anyone who's thinking of buying a new car should certainly take a check ride in the 50 Ford. We Ford dealers are swamped with comments like that. But don't take anyone's word for this new 50 Ford. Prove it for yourself. Look up your nearest Ford dealer in the classified phone directory. Or perhaps you know him personally. He'll arrange a test drive in the 50 Ford. Test drive it for comfort, for power, for safety, and for the quietness, which is its mark of quality. Yes, before you buy any car at any price, test drive the 50 Ford at your Ford dealers tomorrow. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Torch Carriers. that had just slipped away had been a noisy assortment of big people with little troubles I hadn't wanted to help and little people with big troubles I hadn't been able to help. So by the time it was all over and I was heading for home, a cozy, quiet cocktail lounge at the Wilshire Gardens Hotel seemed like a good idea. When I was there up at the bar with one down and one to go, the strain that had been with me all day began to ease up. But even as I relaxed, the tension between the couple sitting at my left became more and more apparent. I looked down the bar. The girl was young, pretty, and obviously afraid of the little man with her. Who had only asthma where a voice should have been. Now, have I made myself clear? I, I don't know what you're talking about. Now look, sister, Larry Sower doesn't go for people snooping after him now. And neither do I. It gives me work to do that sometimes rough on a party. Brave boy. All right, little man, you've had your busy day. Hey, take your hands off. As soon as you relax. Okay, okay, get your mitts off. Now, gentlemen, please, no fighting. I can lose my license for it. Now you, you leave at once. Wait a minute, Baldy. You heard him, Buster. Okay. I said what I come to say anyhow. Walter, Walter, stop playing. You all right, miss? Yes, yes, thank you. Are you sure? Would you like another drink? No, no, thank you. I think I'll go back to my villa. Oh, you're staying here at the Wilshire Garden? Yes, Villa 12, it's just around the corner. Maybe I better see you as far as the door. Little pal of yours might still be around. Well, thank you. It's all right, come on. This is really very nice of you, Mr. Marlowe, Philip Marlowe. What about you? What? Oh, it's Claire Osborne. Well, now look, Claire, I'm not trying to pry into your business, but in a way, people like Larry Salter are my business. Larry Salter? How did you know about him? Your little pal in the bar wasn't whispering. Oh. I'm a private detective, Claire, and I see a lot of people get in over their heads. Hate to see it happen to you. You know, these people play rough, usually for keeps. Maybe you better tell me about it, huh? Well, this is my place. Oh. Mr. Marlowe, I'll be frank with you. A month ago, I got into a jam. It was an investment I'd made some stock. A sure thing, I was told. Yeah, they usually are. Anyhow, the certificates weren't quite gilt-edged, and they took a dive, a deep one. And to protect myself, I needed more money, so I I took a bracelet. I had a diamond one and got a loan on it. From Larry Salter? Yes, from Salter. A friend, a person I thought was a friend, recommended him to me. So, so you cashed your bracelet, covered your investment, got your money back, and now you want the bracelet again, correct? Yes, but Salter isn't around. He's hiding. How do you know? Well, I went to the club he runs up on the strip. I overheard it there. Oh. Two men spoke of him as being on a, an extended vacation for his health. Well, of course, I didn't believe that, so I went around the back, found the door open, and got into Salter's private office. Maybe that in itself is a wonderful way to get into trouble deep. Yes, I know, but I just had to find out where Salter could be located so I could pay him and get my bracelet back. Huh. Here, look, this paper. Mm -hmm. It was folded under Salter's memo pad. On one side, it says, Madge, Gladstone 274. The last number's missing, torn off. And on the back, meet at 1010. Can this help us any? Yeah, it might. But first, Claire, a couple of questions that might help even more. Who was that ersatz little Caesar who slapped you in there? One of the men I overheard talking at Salter's club. He must have seen me and then followed me here. That figures. Now, look, honey. You're scrambling awful hard for a thousand-buck bracelet. What's the rest of it? The rest of it? Well, you're out of your... Honey. Oh, what's you? That's better. I might just as well tell you. The bracelet isn't mine, Mr. Marlowe. It belongs to my aunt. I live with her in San Diego. Oh, you borrowed it while she was away, maybe, huh? Yes. Oh, please, I've learned my lesson. I only want to get that bracelet back now, Mr. Marlowe. Please, please, will you help me? I'll pay you anything. Never mind that now. Oh, 
please. I, I must know where Larry Salter is. Okay, Claire. We'll try to find out, but I want condition, huh? Which is what? That you go inside, lock all doors and windows, sit next to the phone, and until you hear from me again, do absolutely nothing on your own. Agreed? Oh, yes. Agreed, Mr. Marlowe. Thank you very much. Maybe it was because the sweet young kid had the kind of voice you could still hear long after she was gone. You know, one of those lingering sounds like... like the echo of a train whistle hanging on crisp early morning air. But when I was at a payphone, I stopped wondering and started dialing numbers prefix Gladstone and followed by 274 and then in order 123 and so on until after no answer once, wisecrackers twice, and a babysitter who thought I was a masher from a high school... I finally scored at number five. The answer took me to a dame named Madge Gilbert at a place called the Beekman Plaza. It wasn't the kind of place you'd go for mother, and Madge Gilbert wasn't the kind of girl mother would put up with. However, she must have been nice to look at once. And from the smile, pleasant to know. Okay, Mr. Busy Guy, now that we're together, what is it? Well, for one thing, the name's Kirby, and you can drop the fancy handle. Uh Uh-huh. And for another thing, Kirby? I want to find Larry Salter, but quick. Why? Got a proposition for him. He won't be interested. Sit down. Uh, how can you tell? You don't know what it is. No, but I do know what at the moment Larry is. Yeah? And in three letters, my friend, the word is sad. He lost his lady love. Drink? No, thanks. What do you mean, his lady love? I heard that you and Never Larry... Never mind were... what you heard. Uh-huh. All that's used to be. The pre-Janice trial period. Um, the sad comes from Janice finding a better deal, maybe, huh? No. She was killed. Automobile accident. Night before last. Salter with her? No, again. She was alone and drunk. And that's probably the way Larry is right now. A blind fool. <sighs> Fill it up, way. Sure. Look, baby. Believe me, it won't put out the torch you're carrying. Shut up. Sorry I broke the whole thing up. Now, what was that proposition you mentioned? For Larry exclusively. Where is he? The foundry on Cushing. Where? The foundry in East Los Angeles. Hey, wait a minute, Kirby. You seem kind of lost for a friend of Larry. I'm just fuzzy on locations, that's all. How about numbers? The address down there, what is it? Come on, fast. 1010. Unless it's been changed recently. It hasn't. Okay, busy guy, you're still all right. Thanks. And if you play it real close, I think you'll be too. See you, Madge. Cushing Avenue in East Los Angeles is industrial, literally wrong side of the tracks and about as non-Hollywood as an honest day's work. And all the way there, I kept blessing the dumb luck that had made me answer 1010 for the address before I'd even had time to think. When I pulled up and parked away from the place, I hoped that luck would continue. Because ahead was the foundry, or what remained of it, and in no sense did it look like friendly territory. I found a metal staircase climbing from what had once been a loading ramp up to the yard foreman's office where a single staring, unshielded light inside said that somebody was home. And when I'd quietly gone up those stairs, I saw through a glass door who that somebody was. Larry Salter, alone next to a telephone and pitching darts at a smiling face on a calendar across the wall that read January 1928. And I knocked with the barrel of my 38 on the dirty glass door. He told me to come in without Hi. looking up. Make yourself at home, neighbor. Be with you in a minute. Ah. <clears throat> Aha! <laughs> I did it. Her front tooth have been trying for that all night. So glad you made it. Now I won't be on your mind while we talk. About what? Bracelets. Bracelets? Uh, neighbor, this is an iron foundry. What you want is a jewelry shop. Let's save each other a lot of time and level, huh? I'm a private detective named Marlowe Salter, and at the moment working for Claire Osborne, who now has the price of a bracelet. Wants it back in a hurry. Do we do business? No, we don't. And it's not because I don't like you, neighbor. But... But because, one, I never heard of any Claire Osborne. Two bracelets are stuff for second-story men, which I am not. And three, you ought to get yourself a pair of sneakers, stupid. 
You've been followed all the way through the yard, up the stairs, and into this room. An old gag, Sully. No, no gag. So while you still can, you better put that gun away, because my boy Cover takes a strange delight in messing people up real bad. You're bracketed, chum. You better drop it fast. Yep. That's better. Now, Marlo, without any double talk about babes and bracelets, let's have it. You're one of Freeman's best boys, aren't you? You think I had something to do with him getting knocked off in that ditch? You're here to square things away. That's it, isn't it? No, I ain't gonna get your hands off me. Okay, I won't touch you again. But that's more than I can say for Cobra. Yeah, lots more. Toss-up, whether Cobra's gun on the side of my head or the side of my head on the floor had done the damage. But either way, it didn't seem to matter. Because I couldn't make it back any further than Larry Salter's voice. It sounded like it was coming from the bottom of the well. Even though I could see him talking into the telephone. Then I couldn't even see that anymore. I'm over in East Los Angeles. Mr. Marlowe, did you find him? Do you know where Larry Salter is? Yeah, I think so. 8100 North Lucerne. It's up in Hollywood near you. Now listen, Claire, about the bracelet. There is no bracelet. What? There was no odd. No trouble on the stock market and no loan made. Why do you want to know where Salter is? What do you want from him? His life. Goodbye, Mr. Marlowe. Wait a minute, Claire. Claire, listen to me. I... Oh... wouldn't try it, Chum. What? Hey, Culver, listen, Shut I... Shut up. You don't have to go no place until Larry Salter comes back and says so. Now relax, Chum. In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, a brief message from the Ford Dealers of America. Over 100,000 motorists are experiencing the engineering leadership built into the 50 Ford. As owners, they already know that it's the one fine car in the low-priced field, and it's personal experience that counts in buying a car. That's why the Ford dealers of America are issuing this special invitation to test drive this new 50 Ford for yourself. In the classified phone directory, you'll find the name of your nearest Ford dealer. Perhaps you know him personally. He'll be delighted to arrange a test drive tomorrow. So get behind the wheel and test drive it for the comfort of its midship ride and its unmatched roominess. Test drive it for the power and quietness of the only V8 in the low-priced field, the kind of engine found in America's costliest cars, yet priced lower than ten different six-cylinder cars. Test drive it for the safety of its own king-size brakes, largest in the low-priced field. Before you buy any car at any price, You'll find it to your advantage to test drive the 50 Ford at your Ford dealers tomorrow. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Torch Carriers. I turned to the poker-faced cover in the 45, both staring at me from across six dusty feet of concrete floor that... Made the ancient East L.A. foundry seem colder and even more lonely. You don't stay put so good, do you, sweetheart? You're kind of heavy-handed with that gun, aren't you, Culver? You want to try again, sweetheart? I'll pass. Standing here staring at each other is apt to get dull, don't you think? That's entirely up to you, sweetheart. You bleed pretty. You'd like that, wouldn't you, kid? 
Look, just so I don't get plugged by mistake. You better let me sit down before I fall down, huh? Help yourself. Over there on that box, though, we keep me between you and the door. That's right. You're a good boy. You got no idea. Hey, come on. How long do we play like this? I'll tell you better when Orville the Squeak gets back. What's Orville the Squeak? He runs errands for Larry, like finding out what's phony about a certain young babe in her bracelets that don't exist. So that's where the bird with the whiskey soprano fits. That's the way the punk operates, huh? Well, that way, Covo, we'll both die of old age before... Well, well, you hear that? Somebody moved downstairs. Maybe this is visitor's night in the old foundry. <laughs> Don't get your hopes up, sweetheart. Those live here, they're rats. They eat small dogs. And one thing more, Marlowe. <laughs> What's that for, punk? Dropping your hands out of your lap where I couldn't see them. Don't try it again. I'll put it on your bill. You know, Cova, you're holding me here on Larry Salter's orders, and yet I'm the only one who knows what schedule I happen to him tonight. Maybe you better tell me. Sure, sure. Only first I want to know something. What about the late Mr. Freeman Best? Freeman was scum. Low, stinking scum. Nobody misses him. I mean nobody. And Larry didn't kill him. That's out. But he was connected, wasn't he? And there was a girl named Janice Trow. How does she figure? Uh, you better let that one set, sweetheart, for your own sake. Now let's have your ending fast. What's supposed to happen... Did you hear it? Yeah, what? Don't tell me a tough boy like you gets jumpy. Skip it. All right, give. Come on, wise boy jabber. Look, Culver, won't do you any good. Anyway, I'm the only one who Shut can... up. There was something. Maybe your rats are big enough to wear shoes. Shut huh? up, I said. And sit right there or I'll blow you in two, and I mean it. Orville? Orville? Hey, Squeak. Is that you? Who's out there? Answer me! As Cove edged out of the room, I felt along the side of the box I'd been sitting on for a jagged chunk of metal slag I'd spotted earlier. It was about the size of a baseball and heavy. I picked it up, then moved across to the opposite wall near the door. You! Get out of here! The boss is through with you! Now beat it! I stepped out and saw Cove standing at the head of the stairs his back to me. I threw the lump of iron slag with everything I had. <clears throat> Caught him like a hammer between the shoulder blades. His head flew back, his fingers clawed at the air, and he pitched face first down the stairs. I caught a glimpse of a woman ducking out of sight behind the foundry furnace. It was Madge Gilbert. You killed him, didn't you? Cobra's dead? I don't know, and I don't care. What are you doing in this boarded-up rat trap? There's nobody else here. Just us and Cobra. Creepy number they call over the squeakers do any minute. That nasty little lost. Gives me the willy. You made your bed, baby, but let's not get lost. What are you after in here? Well, I've been thinking plenty about that torch you're talking about. I decided if you carry the same old one long enough, you're bound to get burned. Finally felt the heat, huh? Yeah, plenty. So I came here looking for you, or Larry. Couldn't make up your mind. Certainly. I wanted to tell Larry I was through with him. He'd have beat you to it, but you found me, so... Okay. But if Larry or the squeak come back after what I'm going to tell you, you got to help me get out of here. Larry'd kill me. Okay, kid, let's have it. Well, you wanted to know about Janice Trowell. Yeah. Okay, I'll tell you. She was beautiful. I'd be the first to admit it. A brunette like every woman wishes she was. And Larry fell for her. She took him away from me just like I'd been dead ten years. Only she was rotten. Never once a clean thought in her twisted, dirty little brain. So says the jealous lover. Jealous? Sure, I was jealous at first. And just hurt and disgusted. She was double-crossing Larry every time he turned around, but there was nothing I could do. I tried to tell him... So he... far, it's strictly stock, Madge. Yeah. All but this. One time I made it stick. She borrowed Larry's car to take that slimy Freeman best out for a ride in it. With extra laughs because it was Larry's car, mind you. And and Freeman Best, in case you haven't heard. I've was... heard. Well, I got a lead that they were going to wind up at the Bridge Cafe. I made Larry take me out there to prove what I'd been telling him about Janice was true. You proved it? Sure. We waited for him at the bridge. They showed up all right, doing 90. She couldn't make the curve and they hit the bridge railing. 
She killed them both. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You're stretching, baby. Freeman Best Body was found 30 miles south. Sure, sure it was, because Larry couldn't bear the idea of Janice Trow being found with Freeman Best. He tried to protect her and keep everybody from finding out what a tramp she really was. He pulled Freeman's body out of the wreck and hauled it clear down to Long Beach and dumped it. I watched him do it. And all this business is just to keep that secret about Janice Trow, huh? Sure. Gee, can you imagine a love like that going to waste? <laughs> Why, even with her dead, even now, he won't as much as speak to me. I'm not so bad. I've tried and I've waited. But he won't drop it. So it's all yours, Kirby, and take it. I hope you put it right where it hurts him the most. No dice, baby. Kirby was a stall. I'm Marlowe, private detective. What? Gee... How cheap did I sell out, anyway? That depends. The only axe I'm grinding is for a girl named Claire Osborne. Ever hear of her? No. That's funny. For some reason, she hates Salter even more than you. It's horrible. It's horrible. You stay where you are. I'm scared of him, Mom. I'll pull his fangs. Just don't get absent-minded about which side you're on. Hello, Orville. Where's Larry? been waiting for him. Where's cover, then? I got something important. Cover? Oh, why, he, he went out for a few minutes. Yeah? I don't like this, sister. You in here all by yourself? Something's wrong. What is it? Come on, what's the matter? Marlo! Hold it, Orville. You. Uh, why the gun? Yes. What do you know about Claire Osborne? I... I don't think I know the party. Sure you do. A cute little brunette named Claire Osborne. I want the straight dope on her, and I want it now, not later. Go over. Hey, go over. Answer my questions, you creep. You won't get anything out of me. Larry will take care of both. Hey. You jerk. Well, maybe there's something on it will give me an answer without talking back. Look, he always wrote things down in a little notebook. It's inside his jacket. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Here it is. Let's see. Oh, sure, sure, this is it. Claire Osborne arrived from San Diego last night by plane. Registered at Wilshire Gardens as Claire Osborne, but according to driver's license, her real name is... For Pete's sake, no wonder. I'll see you, kid. It took me 20 minutes to get from East L.A. over to Lucerne and another five to find the bleak white bungalow that belonged to Larry Salter. Its front windows were dark when I drove past it, parked on a side street, and walked back. But in the rear, one window showed a light. The screen door was open, so I eased myself into the service porch where I could see Salter sitting at a kitchen table. A look on his face of hurt defiance, like a small boy accused of something he hadn't done. I couldn't see who was facing him, but there was no mistaking the voice. I love my sister. It was Claire. All my life, Janice was everything to me. And now she's dead and you killed her. That's true, isn't it? I've already told you once, kid, you're making a mistake. I know I'm not. You're going to pay for my sister's death. No court will ever call it murder, but that's what it was. You did it just as surely as if you'd strangled her with your own hands. And now I'm going to get even for Janice. Claire, hey, what? Marlo, you crazy fool, why did you come here? Give me that gun, Claire. I know, you stay out of this. You can't stop me. Nobody can. Even if you shoot me, Marlo, I'll kill him Now listen to me. Before you start pulling that trigger, you better know all the facts. Everything Salter here has done since your sister's death has been to shield and protect what little she herself left of a good reputation. She turned bad, Claire. She... You're lying. No, no. What reason have I got to lie? I'm telling you this because it's true and I can prove it. I don't believe you. You're trying to trick me. It was your big sister who tricked you years ago. She was no good. She's that double-crossing dirty cheater wouldn't shoot square for five minutes. Stop it, stop No, there's more. The night she died, she was two-timing Larry. But even in spite of that, he risked his neck to move the body of the other guy just so, so she wouldn't be found with the kind of cheap trash she'd been running around with. And do you know why? Because Larry Salter there loved your sister, loved her every bit as much as you did. Loved her? Yeah. I know. No, this, this can't be true. Yes, it's true, kid. All of it. I loved her all right. It's just too bad that Janice went like she did. Oh, Marlo. Okay, baby, the hard part's over. Come on, come on, give me the gun. You don't want to shoot anybody. Not now. (laughs) 
better now, Claire? Yes, I hope you're all right when I get used to a few new ideas. Yeah. What's going to happen to me now? Well, that's pretty much up to you. How do you mean? The world spins like mad, honey. You have to keep up or get lost. Like I was tonight. Mm -hmm. I was lost, Milo, terribly. Everything I had any faith in was, was gone. Yeah, I know. That's because you had blind faith, Claire. You know, that's okay for kids, but you're a big girl now. Oh, yes, I, I get it. From now on, it's me, on my own two feet, and my eyes wide open. <laughs> well, take it easy, baby. It's uh, fun to close them once in a while. After I dropped Claire off at her hotel, I... I remember the drink I'd started out to get and left half-finished on the bar. But it was too late now to stop anywhere, so... I drove home and poured myself a nightcap in my own apartment. I carried it over to the window and... looked out across the city at the endless miles of winking lights. Each one a torch. Everybody carries a torch for something... Some for a love they can never have. An ideal that's out of reach, and some just... just for memory. Funny thing. So many dark corners get their only light from a torch that somebody carries. Marlowe will be back in just a moment, but first, here's a message from the Ford dealers of America. More than 110,000 delighted motorists were already driving the new 50 Ford. Here's what Jack Farrell, hotel manager, says. I did a lot of shopping around and chose Ford for styling, and I'm certainly glad because I found there's plenty of car beneath its beautiful body. There's plenty of power under the hood, too, and it's as comfortable as a high-priced car. I could go on for hours about the quietness, the economy, and the comfort of my car, but it all adds up to this. The 50 Ford's a mighty fine car to own. We Ford dealers are not surprised that new owners rave about their 50 Ford's. We've studied this new Ford from stem to stern. We know every detail of its 50 ways new for 50. But until you get behind the wheel, you won't be able to believe how good it is. That's the reason we want you to test drive the 50 Ford. The classified phone directory will give you the name of the nearest Ford dealer. Or perhaps you know him personally. Why don't you phone him tomorrow? Before you buy any car at any price, you owe it to yourself to test drive the 50 Ford. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time everything that happened from the orange-haired man with a map past the oak for the pitchfork to the body at the covered bridge was wrong. Dead wrong. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Sammy Hill, John Daner, Vivi Janis, Harry Bartell, Wilms Herbert, and Edgar Barrier. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Oran. This is Roy Rowan speaking. Stay tuned now for Gangbusters, which follows immediately on most of these same CBS stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That wraps it up for tonight's show at 1001 Radio Grime Solvers. We really enjoy good reviews, so when you have a chance, say something nice about a selection of shows, or maybe suggest some to us. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.